Welcome back to Schoolhouse Talk. This is Chris Dykos with the Fresh Professor. James Miles in the house. Uh, you know, last week we had the Mentor Washington Conference. We had a bunch of amazing sessions, but one session stood out. Right. And that was led by H. De Niro and Tova Fairshot uh, about working with the LGBTQAI plus community. Uh, so looking forward to hearing more about what they're what they're going to bring to us today. Yeah, looking forward to myself. Yeah. Uh, so Chris, we have a new segment of our show. We do. We got a new segment, and the new segment is called. So woke, so, so wrong. wrong. Yeah. Now, we don't consider ourselves very woke individuals. Yeah, I don't consider all. myself woke either. Yeah, no. Wait, what? You guys are both woke. Come on. What are you talking about? To Courtney. Yeah. Okay, yeah. so other people consider us woke. Okay, some people but, do. Some people do. Some people do call us woke, but we don't consider yeah. ourselves woke. I consider myself informed. I, I Exactly. Informed, uh, critical theorist. <laughs> Yeah, wait, 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 wait. That's not critical race theory, is it? No, 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 oh, no, okay, no. It's okay. just critical theorizing. <laughs> <laughs> so, James, so um, just out of curiosity, how, how, how is one considered so woke, so wrong? Oh, uh, I would say, number one, uh, speaking with authority, though lacking the context. Interesting. Okay, so criteria number one, speaking with authority and lacking context. Yeah. I would also say shaming others for self-gain. Mm, mm, shaming others for self-gain. Yes, right. yes. How about establishing a hierarchy of wokeness? Oh, that's a good one. Yeah. That's yeah. a good one. Yeah. That sounds like something I, that Courtney just did. Yeah, she did. She called us woke. <laughs> How dare she? I'm just an informed critical theorist. <laughs> How about asserting one's ideas without concern of the impact? Ooh, that's good. Yeah. That's good. Yeah. And yeah. here's the last that's one good. I like. This the last one. Yeah. Speaking, speaking to the echo chamber <laughs> for endorsement <laughs> under false pretense of bettering society. Ooh, that's deep. Say that one again. Speaking to the echo chamber. I'm trying to read my handwriting, so give me a minute. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I like that. Speaking into the echo chamber, spe speaking to the echo chamber, seeking endorsement under the false pretense of bettering society. Mm -hmm. So for mm -hmm. our listeners, the reason why we're bringing up so woke, so woke, so wrong, so wrong, so wrong, so wrong. <laughs> the reason why we're bringing this up is because um, we would like our listeners to possibly give us examples or we will find them ourselves. Um, we often see them. We live in Seattle. <laughs> you see them a lot. <laughs> we live in the Pacific Northwest. You ain't so, lying. In the, people's, so, in the People's Republic of Seattle, we often see so, so woke, so wrong. So, yeah. So if you have any nominees for us, please um, send them our way. Um, you can do that via LinkedIn um, with the Continuing Consulting um, LinkedIn site. Um, and, of course, um, we will be looking for them ourselves. In this process. Of course. Yes, yes, yes. So, Chris, should we get to our guest? I think we should. I think we should get to our guest. I'm looking forward to it. Can't wait to talk to Tova. Uh, we have been working with Tova for years, uh, for quite a while. Um, she's an amazing consultant with our team. And her partner, H, has been doing some incredible work in the community supporting transgender youth. Yeah, yeah. So excited. Uh, looking forward to this. Let's do it. All right. Here we go. Schoolhouse. Talk.
James, what's up? What's up, Chris? How you doing? How you doing today? I'm good. I'm good. I'm excited about our guests. Yo, excited is not is is an understatement. I'm overwhelmed with joy with bringing our two guests in today, uh, Tova and H. H. De Niro. Is that how you say your last name? That's correct. Yeah, you got it right. Good. H. De Niro and Tova Fairshot on Schoolhouse. Schoolhouse talk. Boom. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome, welcome, so, welcome. Welcome, Tova. Welcome, H. Thank you. Wow, what an introduction. Yeah, yeah. what an introduction. Well, real, so... Uh, we, <laughs> and t t <laughs> Tova works with James and I, and we've, yep. had, we've had the pleasure of meeting H through Tova. But if possible, um, can we get like kind of a brief introduction of, um, of who our listeners are listening to? So yeah, my name is H. I use they them pronouns, um, and I am the social worker for the Marybridge Gender Health Clinic um, in Tacoma. And we serve 18 and under gender diverse and trans youth and their families. Uh, make sure they get the right medical care that they need in a appropriate and informed consent way. Um, and I've been working with queer and trans youth for about five to six years, and that's me. That's what I do. And and you're also a Detroit Red Wings fan. I yes, I'm diehard. No matter <laughs> where we're at right now, Detroit Red Wings fan. Painful to say, but I'll own it right now. All right. Wait, are, are you from Detroit originally? No. I'm from Michigan. I'm from about two hours north of Detroit, but yeah, I'm from Michigan and moved out here from Midwest. Okay, okay, fellow Midwesterner. I like mm -hmm. it. I like it. And Tova, we've been we've been working with Tova for a minute. Yeah, my name's Toba Fairshot. I use she, her pronouns. I'm an education consultant in Washington State. Um, so I work right now with about eight school districts across Washington State on um, supporting trauma-informed practices. And a big part of that with school districts right now is supporting queer and gender diverse youth, youth in the LGBTQ community. Um, I got interested in working with queer youth back in like 2013 at West Seattle High School when I decided to be the Gay Straight Alliance facilitator. I was the teacher advisor there. Um, that's actually where I got to meet H, fall in love with H. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> um, a little bit. first sight. <laughs> it was, actually, <laughs> it was. Um, but we, H and I worked with about 15 or 20 students um, a couple years later in 2015. Um, where we opened Seattle Public Schools' first ever gender-neutral bathroom. So we worked alongside the Seattle Public Schools School Board. We worked with Seattle Times quite a bit. We worked with um, the police department. Um, and we, yeah, we worked to uh, get that bathroom open. Yeah. And it is still open in West Seattle today. And That's some, awesome. And, and, and Seattle Public Schools completely, like, fell apart after that. The system was... Like, I'm sure it collapsed <laughs> on itself because... Nobody, nobody could pee safely uh, ever yeah, again. I'm, so. That's what I've heard. Yeah. I've read that in the papers. <laughs> all, the, all the papers. So I, I always like to ask, like, what is your origin story, educationally, historically, life-wise? What was like? What was school like for you as a kid? Chris and I were both in special ed, so we have that in common. Yeah, uh, that's interesting. I didn't know 
I don't think I realized that both of you were in special ed. Um, you, you knew about so me. I'll, yeah, I knew about yeah, you. you. Yeah, yeah, of course. About yeah, hard to <laughs> Hard, 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 hard not to know. Um, so I, I actually, for the most part, had a good educational experience. Um, I was brought up in a small town in New Hampshire. Um, and then I hit, so, you know, elementary, middle school, early high school. I was actually in a lot of accelerated classes, um, was a really strong student. Um, and then I started to really struggle about my sophomore year of high school. Um, I got switched around to a couple different high schools. I was struggling um, with my uh, sexual orientation, with my own personal identity, with depression, with a whole bunch of stuff that a lot of adolescent individuals experience. Um, and so I actually dropped out of high school. Um, so I did not graduate in the traditional way. Um, I did end up getting my diploma through an alternative program um, that worked out really well for me. Um, and then I went on to moving to Seattle to become a massage therapist because I didn't know what the hell else to do when I was 18 years old. Um, so I did that for a little bit um, while I was deciding on what to do and how and where to go. And that's where I ended up going into education um, and becoming a special education teacher for students with emotional and behavioral disabilities. So that's kind of how I found that way. And uh that's awesome. That was a great answer. No, that's, that's uh, great. Uh, Thank you. So I grew also grew up in a small town in the Midwest. Um, I was pretty good student. Um, I played, you know, elementary school, middle school, high school. I kind of breezed through. Um, I played a lot of sports. And then I was the first one to go to college in my family and finish a degree. Um, so there was a lot of pressure. I'm the only child, so there was a little bit of pressure to make that happen. Um, <laughs> yeah. so, Sorry, you got to do it all. You got to do it all. Yeah, yeah. Um, so I went down to Ohio, and I got my bachelor's degree in psychology, um, where I had a really great, I would say, traditional college experience. Um, I loved it. And then I really didn't know what to do from there. So I actually had a mentor in undergrad, uh, my academic advisor, Erin Dean. That was her name. Um, wow. And she, I knew I wanted to work with teens, and that was about it. So she actually pushed me and encouraged me to go to master's, um, master's school, I guess, uh, and you get my master's in college. Kind of sounds racist. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't say plantation <laughs> school, Chris. <laughs> um, I did graduate, I promise. Um, <laughs> You can tell they still work with teens. Yes, yes, yes. But then I started my master's social work out in Ohio and decided I need to get out of the Midwest um, because I was actually coming into my own gender identity. And I threw a dart on the dartboard to Arizona or to Seattle, and it hit Seattle, and that's why I came to Washington. So then I finished up my social work degree at UW um, and evolved from there. Yeah. Yeah. We, H and I always joke because we had a very different college experience. I, ju I just jumped around to five different schools for my undergrad. Um, I could not tell you where like my diploma is. I don't, I don't, I'm not sentimental in like the educational sense and H's are like in the most expensive and fanciest <laughs> like framed in our office. They're, <laughs> it's, 
<laughs> the only child syndrome yeah. from my mom. <laughs> my parents are like, oh, you graduated? Okay, cool. <laughs> That's hilarious. That's hilarious. So uh, a degree in so sociology. I have a master's of social work. Mm -hmm. Master's of social work. My undergrad was in psychology, human psychology. studies. Yeah. I'm apparently not a very good listener, but I'm, I just like to talk about things a lot, so ignore me. Okay. Uh, please, please ignore me. That's great. Quite literally, the dartboard is not a joke. That is how I decided where to go. That's I'm hands still down trying to I see did. that. So, like, do you have a map of the United States up there, and you're just throwing at the dartboard? Or, or just I just, had, I just had, like, the dartboard, and I just had, like, a printout. I said Arizona, Washington, and I just threw it, and it hit Washington. That's amazing. Because I, I think, like, on a, if it was a map, man, that's like making an effort. <laughs> right? like, well, then maybe I would have ended up in, like, uh, South Dakota right. or something <laughs> <Right>. wild. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> no, honestly, I think more decisions should be made like that. No no joke. You know, we, we live so much, so constricted lives where we have to do this, follow a certain path. Mm -hmm. Leaving things to chance right. is kind of, like, freeing. I, I, I'm, like, praising, praising you right now, H, for, for that. You know, you, like, I had to follow that path. I had to go to college, same college my dad went to. I'm very happy I did. Um, <laughs> he has a lot I of sweaters to prove it. <laughs> I, have, I have a, a lot of sweaters to prove that, yeah. <laughs> but I two boys. Oh, you, oh, you didn't know? So, uh, to the listeners, I went to Morehouse College. So, y'all both did a, 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 conf, uh, a presentation at uh, the Mentor Washington Conference. And I have to say, it was one of my favorite presentations of the, the, the two days. It was awesome. I think a lot of people, a lot of people, um, enjoyed it you know eight, uh, toby you said people have been hitting you up about resources yeah um can you give us a little a little breakdown of that of that conference presentation yeah um so and h and i have done a handful of uh presentations before for community-based organizations for school systems um on supporting queer youth but this one we we wanted to do it really through the lens of why is building a relationship and really harnessing a relationship with queer youth so critical, so crucial, but also different than with heterosexual and cisgender youth? And so what does that actually look like? And how, how can we be an ally as a verb for gender diverse youth? Um, the, you know, the statistics that we see, the statistics that come out every single year, the research shows that um, we have a really long way to go with how we are supporting our gender diverse um, population, not just youth, but adults as well, um, as well as the lesbian, gay, and bisexual population too. Um, and so we wanted to make sure that individuals that aren't used to working with gender diverse populations understood the unique qualities it takes to work with gender diverse youth. Well said. Oh, I just made that like off the top of my that was head. Really good. I, I like I oh good, it's being recorded. So I can <laughs> We should record this. <laughs> we should Hopefully this is on a podcast oh, at some point. Good. Oh yeah. and act like that. Um Well H was just there for the eye candy. Definitely. Yeah. That's our strengths. <laughs> um <laughs> It's good yeah. to know where, where you fit together. Yeah. We have delicate balance. Um yeah, I think we just really want to highlight, you know, the transgender diverse population, especially youth 
and adults is so vulnerable. It's another layer underneath the LGBTQ community that oftentimes gets lumped in yes. with the community. Yes. And the sports that are needed are so complex. Um, and, you know, that population is all is triggered by medical providers, school, you know, constantly, again, on another level than just lesbian, bisexual, and gay youth who are already traumatized in those systems. Um, so getting the word out just feels it feels important. Um, and even if it's a small step, you know, if we can help somebody avoid saying, are you sure you're a boy that that's mm -hmm. enough to traumatize somebody for years to not want to go to another adult. Right. So if we could just stop one person from saying that, that could save one person's life. And that's, I mean, that's what it's about. Yeah. I remember my, when I, I wrote for The Advocate briefly, and um, I did an article for The Advocate um, years ago on the Lambert House, and mm -hmm. this was early, early 2000s, like maybe 2000. Um, and just thinking about then, as far as our awareness of how to best serve transgender youth to now, it's like night and day. Yeah. Thinking about like it's the same century, right? Just tw tw 21 years ago, maybe. Um, and it was really for me, like I was grappling with this process of like, wow, these are like major, major decisions. And then as I was interviewing, realizing, wow, this has been a long struggle for you. This is something you've been grappling with for a long, long time. And it's, I think, really difficult for cisgender individuals to really put yourself in that grappling process. And I'm wondering if you could help listeners maybe understand a little more or maybe develop some empathy a little more in this process of understanding just the personal struggle that an individual goes through in this process and how can we just, besides even questioning, right, like how can we support them in that struggle because I, I had a, a student in, in the middle school that I was um, a dean of, um, the uh, house administrator of, and he was going through this process, and none of us knew really how to best serve besides just being supportive and listening. Yeah, yeah. So, um, you know, I use they, them pronouns. I identify as non-binary. I'm very open about that. I'm very proud of that. Um, and it's, you know, gender dysphoria Two terms, gender dysphoria yes. and gender euphoria, and they couldn't be more opposite ends of the spectrum. Um, gender dysphoria is like, you know, waking up every day and looking in the mirror, and there's like what you're looking at is almost like a monster. Like your body is a monster because it's just not – you want to look in the mirror and see something else, and something else is looking at you, and you don't know who that person is. It's, it's a stranger. Um, and that feeling is something that takes – a long time to understand what you want your body to look like, what you want to present as. And it is like, you know, gender identity is a constant, how I look at it personally, it's a constant um, evolution. You know, even from when I came out as non-binary and I was 22 to now like 31, I look different um, and I feel better now. And, you know, gender euphoria is the complete opposite. When you finally understand your gender and what you want to look like and how you want to present, you look at yourself in the mirror and you're like, that's the, that's the person I've been wanting to look back. And it's like, um, it's the greatest natural, it's like a runner's and hiker's high, but for your yeah. gender. Um, and that is where we want to get people 
whatever, you know, age they are, gender identity they want to identify as. That's where we want to get people. Right. Thank you. And then the the support, what does that look like in terms of? I think that's what I asked. Yeah. <laughs> I was just yeah. went on my bird walk. You know how I am. From a, <laughs> you know? So from a cis person's perspective, um, I think one of the things, I think a lot of people, especially who are not part of the queer community or individuals that um, don't necessarily like interact much with the queer community, a lot of it is... Um, it's just the unknown, right? Like the the they've never met somebody that uses they them pronouns, right? They don't they don't know why somebody would use they them pronouns. It's grammatically is confusing for people, right? They they get stuck on these like little nuances. Um, and obviously, I should just put a disclaimer. I'm very much generalizing here, right? This is not all the cisgender population, but this is. Um, in my experience, people who get stuck on what does support look like, it has to do with more of their own taking things almost personally, right? Like personally, they struggle with the with the grammar of using they, them pronouns for a singular individual, right? right. Um, personally, they struggle if they've known somebody for a really long time using she, her pronouns and now using a different name and he, him pronouns. They take it as a personal, um, um, you know, some people get offended or some people just struggle or they say it's just a habit. I've always used she, her pronouns for that individual. It's really hard for me to start using he, him pronouns, right? And so I think the first thing to do is just to say to take yourself out of the equation, right? Like it's not when H, um, when H first told me that they started they wanted me to start using they, them pronouns with them. And they weren't telling other people yet. They just were kind of exploring it. They were telling a, a, just a handful of close friends. Um, of course, at first, I was like, oh, ever since I've known H, I have not used they, them pronouns for them, right? It took me some time to adjust as well. But again, it's about like, I'm taking myself out of the equation because this isn't actually about me. This is a process that H is going through. And every individual is going through it in a different way. Um, and so I think that that's, that's the number one thing is that whatever the individual, the gender diverse or gender nonconforming individual is requesting, that's what we try, right? That's what we do. Um, if we make a mistake, we apologize and we move forward. We don't have to harp on it. Um, and I also think an important thing to remember, and even H sometimes has to remind me of this, is that gender diverse and gender non-conforming individuals, they might not be out to everybody, right? They might, you might be one of those only people that they feel comfortable right. telling you, hey, I want to try some new pronouns today. Can you, can right. you call me a different name today? And so um, it's not our responsibility to out anybody or to have that conversation for them. It's about their comfort level. Do they want us to correct other people um, if other people use the wrong pronouns, right? And so it's really about taking one step at a time based on the needs of that individual person. And talk about grace and, and operating with grace, um, you know, and really seeing the person as, as a human being. I did a panel with with uh, Dr. Bettina Love and Key and Mama Duke and, and Mama Duke's wife, Keely. And Dr. Love said something really that stood out to me. We were in Texas and people were asking questions like this, like, what about pronouns? How do you do this? And Dr. Love says, look, we're in Texas. If y'all can say y'all, you can say they, them. <laughs> and that hit me hard. I was like, 
Fuck yeah, that's right. That's what we people can do. This you can just change your your, your words, change your usages. Um, I, I love that. And yeah. you know, Chris has talked about this with his experience with Dr. Cook, uh, and Dr. Cook opening up Chris's eyes uh, on like the use of pronouns. Um, right. I'm not going to speak for you, bro, but no, um, no. Well, Tova, Tova is the person I trusted when I was speaking yeah. to Dr. Cook. So I when. It, and again, so I'm thinking about my my from my own experience as somebody who was um, a, a, an L, a gay rights advocate who was arguing for the B right within the LGB community at the time. We weren't even at T yet, right? This is and so this is right and having this debate and having this argument even back then about like, look, we're we're trying to be inclusive. And so I, and pointing out like my own hypocrisy, having grace within myself to openly talk about it and embrace it and, and learn about it and learn from it. And that was um, on changing behavior and changing behavior was for me, I was wondering like, well, why do I have to announce what my pronouns are? Um, why is it on me to like continually have this, like, especially during the era of Zoom, right? Like I'm this, we just learned about this this past year and having the he, him next to my name. Um, and Tova just kind of like pointed it out to me at one point. And again, as, as Dr. Cook has stated, and as all of us who've studied psychology understand, if you're going to change behavior, it often has to come from somebody you trust and believe and respect, right, to get that feedback from. And, and Tova did it perfectly. She just said, it's just like putting a pink triangle on your door. And I was sitting there thinking like, oh, it's just a symbol of allyship. It's just, it's just a symbol. It's a symbol, right? What are letters? <laughs> right? It doesn't define, yeah. right? It's just a letter. It's a symbology that we use to communicate and saying, hi, I'm here to listen. I'm here to support. And that's all. And that was a great way to put it. And for me, it wasn't shaming. It wasn't, it, it was, it was coming to my side and saying, hey, you ever think about it this way? Oh, great. Thanks. I'm taking that on. Right now, we're like after I don't know how to keep it permanent, so I have to keep changing and put it up there. But <laughs> nine times out of ten, if I'm on a Zoom now, I put he him on there just to make yeah. sure that hey, look, I'm here, I'm an ally, I'm here with you. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, you know, and there's a lot of um, I two really good examples of how like humans can change behavior, and we've done it for so long. You know, people struggle with pronouns changing, but you know, somebody gets married, they change their last name, we automatically right. go to it, no questions asked. We'll change your email. We'll change your, and nobody messes up again, right? That's been going on for, I right. don't even know how long in marriage. And that's easy for people. Um, I'll use a, we like, we, I'll use our dog as an example. So we, <laughs> we got a golden doodle who was given to us as a girl dog. And like for fun, we started calling, we now just call him him. We're like, oh, we're going to use he, him pronouns. Let's see like if, how this goes in society. We changed his name. Yeah, we changed yeah. his name. We put a he, him pronoun, like, tag. Both of our dogs have pronoun tags. We put a he, him pronoun tag on him. He goes to the vet, the dog room at the dog park. They all call him he, him. Yes. The whole system has changed That's around awesome. him. Yes. Even though they know he's born female. And it's a dog. So, like, <laughs> if society can do this for our dog, come on. We can do it. And that, like, You know, we, like, we're just, and now all of our friends call him he, like, you and we're just like, yeah, we just have a trans dog. And it kind of started as, like, a joke. But curiosity of, like, how people can adjust. Yeah. Everybody has adjusted. The vet. His vet. <laughs> his vet. Um, when they were talking, uh, 
when she was talking to H like a couple weeks ago when he was in, and when she mispronounced him, she said, "Excuse me, I'm sorry." He. <laughs> I... <laughs> but like... but did the vet apologize to your dog? <laughs> you know what? We'll have to do that next. Yeah, time. I think there needs to be some, yeah. there needs to be to some that. repair going on here. Yeah. <laughs> so I mean, right? Like. We can do it for last names. We can do it for a dog. We we can do it for the people we care about, we even love, if we've known yeah. them, right? That's kind of my. We you can do it. You just have to be conscious about it. Right. That's the perfect soundbite. You could do it for a dog. You could do it for a, for for human beings too. Yeah. yeah. I mean. Put that on LinkedIn, Chris. Put that on LinkedIn. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, there's no denying we're having this podcast remotely. Uh, what what are you seeing during COVID around, especially around mental health, particularly around youth, uh, LGBTQ AI plus youth? LGBTQ plus youth are struggling. I mean, if we really think about it, right, sometimes those youth or even adults, those safe spaces like drop-in centers and support groups and those, you know, sometimes even like secret meetings at school or gay straight also now youth are calling them queer straight alliances um they've all been taken away i mean they are virtual now but if you think you know that might be a space you're only out to that's the only space that you're getting your identity validated you're getting you know mentorship and resources well virtual is great because we can reach a lot more youth that way but if you're in a home that's not supportive you can't sit and talk like this out loud because whoever's in the house isn't supportive so you know all youth, a lot people in general are struggling, but you know this population has really seen their supports pulled from them um, in places where they may already be extremely isolated, and um, it's not good. You know, I think they're they're ready to get back in person. Um, they're ready to get back in person and see their friends, and sometimes the only family that does support them are those spaces. Yeah, and I, I think it's really important, right? We we all we live in cities, right? You both are in Seattle, we're in Tacoma. Um, sometimes it kind of goes unnoticed, the lack of resources out in the rural communities for queer youth, right? Um, and especially during COVID, I think that's where it was it, the the mental health needs were so exacerbated in some of the rural communities outside of Tacoma area, outside of the Seattle area, um, because they don't have access to the same drop-in centers. And, you know, I know H, um, some, some kiddos that H used to do therapy with, they could only text message H because their parents can, you know, he, they were too fearful. Um, and so I think, you know, one of the things that H and I always talk about is having this fantasy of how do we get out into those communities? Like, how do we support queer youth um, in the communities that really need it the most? Uh, I was talking to uh, one of our, our colleagues at OK Fire, which is Okanagan County, mm. Foundation for Youth Resilience and Engagement. And they set up a shop, the only youth center in all of the county, largest county in Washington State, and they have, uh, they serve youth that are gay, trans, and, and uh, on the LGBT continuum. Do we use continuum? Do you use spectrum? You know, when I talk about, yeah. Spectrum, but I kind of like continuum. Like all the flags on your opening slide. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, but they, they got people protested in front of their, their, their site, uh, hate mail, and they're just really providing food sundries, 
tutoring services, mentoring services to these young people that had to travel an hour and a half yeah. from another part of the county just to come to this one place in Okanagan. So I just want to shout out OK Fire uh, because they're doing great work in Okanagan County. Yeah, Okanagan. we'll have to look up. Yeah. Okanagan's gorgeous. Uh, it's, it's fantastic. Yeah. A couple weeks ago, H and I were in Walla Walla. And <laughs> making up well, more words, making up more words here. Walla Walla. <laughs> <laughs> And as we were leaving, the day that we were leaving, there was a bunch of teenagers that held their own rally in support of trans youth. And we actually stopped, we stopped by and H handed them a bunch of um, business cards and it, like H got so choked up because these kids were all by themselves. There was no adults there, right? Nobody supporting them. And they chose to go into downtown Walla Walla where there was people that were driving past and walking past them saying not nice things, right? Saying homophobic and transphobic things to them. And they chose to support their peers and support themselves, um, which was really powerful. Yeah. Shout out to those teens. Whoever you are. Whoever you are. I, yeah. Would have wished we could have just stood there with you all day. Yeah. Um, you know, another good resource we're just talking about rural Washington. Yakima now has a gender clinic. It has wow. popped up at the end of September, fall, right? Yeah, fall 2020. Oh, wow. uh, yep, it is. Um, it's small but mighty. So that is, and I just learned about that about two or three weeks ago. And then I sat in a presentation of kind of the leader of that clinic. They're doing pretty awesome things. So that's another rural resource that is new and awesome. He definitely, the presentation that um, H and I saw with him speaking, like it, it's a learning curve for him because this has not ever been anything that in Yakima they've had before. And in fact, a lot of patients or a lot of kiddos um, that H sees all the way in Tacoma come from that central part of Washington. So I have to commute. Reach out to him and see if he wants to meet next week. Yeah. So you're, you're mentioning... Um, just now you're 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 hesitating to identify somebody who is doing good work mm -hmm. um i'm assuming this is a selfless caring individual who's doing amazing work um yet you can't acknowledge or identify who that person is um could you speak a little to some what we're noticing in the news and we've heard you know what, what we're seeing and even hearing some stories from you um before about like just how much resistance is out there now um, there's a slew of laws coming out, like limiting basic health needs of youth. Um, um, considering like this movement that is rearing its head and, and doing harm. I'm curious if you could speak a little to that. Um, yeah, it is. So, um, you know, there's a lot of those laws and bills going on in the southern part of our country, and they are gaining speed at a rapid pace, um, which is scary. You know, Arkansas, it you can't get care anymore. Like, you know, if you're a youth and your family, you can't get care. And now people like me and my providers and my team, it's a felony, right? It will be in July. So it's like, wow. In Arkansas. Yeah, yeah. in Arkansas. Um, and it's just... It's just, again, we think we've come so far, and then we see these laws, and 
have we come so far? 2021 is a record-breaking year for anti-transgender legislation, according right. to ACLU. Um, you know, I was naive to think, we're in Washington State, we're safe, this isn't here. Well, we had protesters show up at my clinic about a little bit over a month ago. Right. Wasn't a lot, but it was enough that it caused the problem in our clinic, and now we have to have sec security processes. We're anticipating them to come back. You know, we have to, there's people that watch them on social media, you know, like, um, they were concerned about my safety or nurse provider. And that's like here in Tacoma. And that's, so this is everywhere. Um, I, the movement um, is, it's an interesting movement because from what I'm understanding, it's people who believe that clinics, especially youth clinics like mine are forcing um, people to be trans and forcing them to take medications and there's a lot of incorrect information about puberty blockers um, on the internet that's spiraling around. Um, and that's just, it's just, it's false information, unfortunately, but it's growing. It's growing. Well, and it, there's so much false information, even about, about surgeries and about the rights of youth with, um, with, you know, of trans youth with surgeries and what, what, you know, part of the support that when when H gets a seven or eight or nine year old trans youth coming into their office, part of the support is just to connect with them, to talk with them, so that they know that they're not alone, right? That there right. are, um, that it's okay how they're feeling and what's what's going on in their, you know, how what how they're thinking and and people want to take that away like just that connection away right and we know that that increases suicide um it increases severe depression severe anxiety um maladaptive behaviors when we take away the basic human rights and needs of trans individuals and then all of a sudden you know they're gonna have top surgery and hormones and that's just not how it works there's a process and we want to make sure whatever clinic you're at, you're doing an informed process and you're right. getting them the support they need because maybe then they decide they're non-binary and maybe they don't want hormones. That's great, right? right? That is okay. It is okay to not be so locked in, right? Go back to the dartboard. We don't have to be so consistent and, right. you know, with the things we do. And that's what gender is about. And people are afraid, right? People are afraid all the way back to the stigma of like Stonewall right. 50 years ago, Right. And now we're still afraid. Um, and I think that's what it comes down to. It's fear. It's fear-based. Well, and as you just said, gender, it's an identity, not an anatomy. Yes. <laughs> I think I mean, people use the term gender and sex interchangeably, and they're not interchangeable. Gender is your identity, right? It's yeah. how, um, how you feel, <laughs> how you are inside. So between your ears, your gender identity is between your ears, your sex is between your legs, and those are two different <laughs> That's things. That's great. <laughs> That's great. That's perfect. Yeah, you can't no. teach that, though. <laughs> yeah. Don't teach that. Don't teach that, right? Um, and your sexual orientation is in your heart, yeah. and they're all different. Yeah. Yeah, um, it, it, yeah you know, and it, it goes back to these norms we've had structured in our society for so, so long. I, we both get confused. You know, I have a, I have a hat on right now, not that people will see me, but like I have a mohawk and I dress very masculine and somehow people will call us ladies <laughs> and we're like, Ooh, oh, you're talking to us. And we're both just like, what in the hell? Like I, you know, I, yeah, it's, it's confusing. Um, 
still. And I look the way I do. I've had top surgery, you know, and we'll still get called ladies and it's bizarre, hmm. but that's how ingrained it is. My voice, right? I'm not on testosterone. So my voice isn't typically a male voice. And mm -hmm. that's why people default to that. Yeah. That's the only thing they have. And it's, it's so deeply in our brain. It's, it's almost unbelievable. Everything is gendered in our society. Everything. Interesting. But I will tell you when we go into, when we go into rural areas, then people say, hello, sir. Yeah. <laughs> like it's, it's, oh. all, it's about it's like location and what people yeah. want to see. Yeah. That's you awesome. know, like what people want to see. So yeah. when we go into, it's safer. If we go into like, um, in Forks, Washington, when we go out to dinner there for H to dinner in Forks, well, Washington. Well, one time, and it was scary because <laughs> H had <laughs> or any wherever we're staying this week. H will use the men's bathroom because it's safer than using the women's bathroom, and it's BS that H has to choose between the two anyway. That they should be just like just an option be. for single stalls, but that's a whole other issue. Yeah, that's exactly. Yeah. I was just thinking like. I don't know if I would choose the men's room as a man. Out in Forks. It's always on site. Like... <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah. If we could just have yeah. a single stall, then we're yeah. done. Yeah, let's just it's, then it's done. done. I'd appreciate yeah. it. It'd be cleaner. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, you couldn't go in a store and just everything's gendered. I mean, imagine being a little kid in a rural area and you feel like you have a different gender identity. Well, nothing is telling you it's okay to do that. So you just suppress it and then. Yeah. Maybe you learn it when you're 17 or maybe you don't learn it until you're 82 because you don't have any examples of, I mean, like there's, if you go to the cosmetology section, there's face masks that are gendered for men and for women. A face mask? Come on. So do you find yourself uh, getting more upset than, than Tova does? And I ask that because oftentimes when uh, I'm treated differently, my wife, who's white, uh, gets more upset than I do. And I just wonder if it's similar, you know, we're used to it, that, that kind of oppression and, and like maladaptive to quote yeah. behavior that it's like, all right, we'll just let it roll off our, our shoulders. Mm -hmm. I, what do you think? I think I, I get more anxious about it. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, I think same, same thing, James. I feel like I, you know, people who like don't mean anything to me, I, well, you can call me whatever you want, you know, yeah. just not asshole. But um, you can call me oh, whatever. Yeah, I can call them that. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but you know, because they don't mean anything to me, and I, I feel like um, it's the people that mean something to me or close to me. Um, that's where it becomes a more internal, you know, yeah. concern or problem of mine. And it is just, it's just kind of like, oh yeah, I'm used to that, right? You just kind of get used to it, and I think we, you just learn how to. To, to navigate the world. But that being said, like that REI associate may not ever do that again. And that's super helpful. Right. And, um, sometimes I'm kind of like, Oh, Oh, I wasn't in the mood to do that today, but then we do it. And then, <laughs> um, it, you know, it's fine. But I, and then the other side, I'm like, yeah, okay. I'm really glad you said something. Cause that is super annoying. I just want a t-shirt, like leave me alone, you know? So yeah. yeah. I see, I think when I get so upset because 
like behind closed doors, I see how it upsets H, sure. right? And I yeah. see how it impacts H's dysphoria. Right. And yeah. so um, it, it impacts me. Like the hardest for me, I would say, is probably with family that I'm close with that still really struggle and don't really seem to put much effort or energy into using H's pronouns. Sure. Um, and that has been the biggest struggle, right. you know? Yeah. I mean, and then you like, and we're, we're obviously we're talking about us and we're two very like stable, high functioning, been able to navigate this. Now, like imagine a teenager that has no support in a rural area trying to navigate it with low mental health and no resources. Right. Supporting transgender youth. I'm wondering right now for this podcast and our listeners, um, what what would you recommend? Like, I'm just curious as to your thoughts as far as like somebody who wants to be an ally or supportive in a rural school district or in yeah. um, in a in a, in a um, very evangelical setting, possibly. Um, I think that um, the first thing is like having visual cues up, right? Having a rainbow flag, a trans pride flag, a Schitt's Creek poster, right? Like these little things that we can do. So, or a pose. H and I are really into pose right now. A pose poster. I don't know if Billy, teens are into Billy pose. Porter. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Billy Porter. Yeah. Yeah. I love Billy Porter. Yeah. I, I, have a, I, I wondered about this. There's black issues, queer issues, trans issues, immigrant issues. How do we have just human issues? Like, this is an issue that's going to impact people. <laughs> well, I, one, one thing that I, I mean, when you're saying that, and, and, and again, just yeah. thinking about, I mean, again, like, gender is a self-expression. It's not an anatomy. Um, like, the, these, these structures that we have in place force our schema, right? So we talk about Broffenbrenner all the time and how, Within ecological theory, it's forming a schema, or it's it's laying out your mental model, like it's laying all the boundaries, like of, of what your mental model is going to fit within, and so just even the concept of gender, why? It goes back to even the questions that we ask in the social emotional learning hangouts, right? Where who holds the power, and when we talk about men and women, it's like, well, if we even think about that, not just the evidence, but like who the hell decided that men hold the power right? and that, that's what i mean like you know oh this is happening to this community in arkansas that's that's a transition that's not really an issue that yeah, affects we me yeah we don't have to think about it but when we start saying like oh that's happening to these young people right. yeah. that's a human that's an issue right well yeah you know i know we're like running out of time but when we even think about intersectionality too how many how many mm -hmm. black trans women died last year were murdered excuse right. me more yeah. than ever before, right. more than any other year we have ever had. Yeah. By August of la of 2020, more trans women, more black trans women have been murdered than all together in 2019. Right. Right. And yeah. what the hell are we doing about that? Do we even know? Do people know about that? Right. I think, I mean, I think that's a, those murders? that's a, such a great question because uh, they're gen they were murdered statistically more mostly by black quote-unquote straight males right and i brought this up in, in one of my men's groups i'm in a black men's group and i said hey we should talk about this and surprisingly many of these my fellow brothers were like 
come on, man. Can we talk about something else? And I was shocked. I left that. I, I left the conversation. I was like, man, we, we're not talking about our people unless we're talking about our people. Yeah. Right. Right. Yeah. Um, right. So I think a lot of that falls on, you know, me, brothers like myself, you know, as it falls on, on Chris to basically every problem in humanity. This problem, <laughs> this problem is, is mine, so. <laughs> Thank you for lighting a load there, James. Thank you. Sure, sure. Yeah. Thank you for helping I, I, can, I, I will pick this one up. All right, you take appreciate that. Everything else, bro. Really do. Got a lot on my plate. <laughs> yeah. A friend of mine used to uh, teach in the Yelm, uh, and she identifies as a lesbian. She was married um, at the time to a woman, and... Uh, she never came out to her students. And then one of her students had made a comment to her about um, how his mom was coming to, you know, a parent-teacher conference. And she was like, oh, so-and-so. And the kid was like, well, no, it's my other mom. Mm. And she was like, oh, you have two moms? And he, he kind of, like, looked around, and he was, like, you know, like, embarrassed about it. He, he nodded. And she was like, I, I'm gay, right? I have a wife. I'm lesbian. Um, and the kid, like, if you are open to having those conversations with students, I think that that's really important because there could be the one gay kid in your class yeah. You right. know, the one trans kid that maybe doesn't have, isn't even out yet, maybe not even out to themselves yet, but having those conversations. That's what I was just about to say. Like, you know, um, visibility, right? And mm -hmm. any any identity doesn't have to be gender. But, you know, yeah, I mean, being able to just know somebody else maybe is gay. You have no, there's, there's gay, trans, queer, there's people all over the place. It's not, you know, we don't just congregate to the cities because there's right. more things to do. Um, they're everywhere, and you just never know who and who it is and where they are. Yeah. Um, and that includes adults, right? Like in yeah. the buildings yeah. of teachers, yeah. I mean, it would be very rare to have a whole building of teachers and admin that they're not somewhere on the continuum of the LGBTQ community. Do you know... I? at this point in time of where we're at as a society, but it is about safety. And I think, you know, considering safety is a number one priority when you're talking mm -hmm. with the youth and for yourself. Um, but visibility is just so important. I, I think some other, um, you know, not, not every teacher is going to be gay in terms of like visibility, but I think for, cis straight teachers as well right having books in your classroom that are on the gender and sexual orientation spectrum or continuum Yeah, language, language, language is so, we can so back up and make language um, more broad if we just stop for one second and think about what we're saying. And that, that alone, there's a, if there's a trans kid or a trans teen, they'll, they'll pick up on it. They'll right. realize we're not doing pink and blue. We're not doing all this stuff. And that might be enough to say, this is a safe person because yeah. they're talking in language that is not binary. Um, and is not gendered, um, and that could be just enough. And language is, you know, a powerful tool. Yes. How, from your experience with an education, how do you feel transgender and, and queer youth overall are being served 
within SEL curricula? I think SEL curriculum in general is not super, uh, can struggle to be culturally responsive. And so I think that's not, not just for trans individuals and trans youth, but I think that's for youth culture as a whole. Um, and I think that there's oftentimes, you know, SEL curriculum that is being developed um, is being developed by predominantly adults, predominantly researchers with, with minimal student voice in it in terms of what is important in, in the student's eyes. I think that, like, if we look at, um, like, the CASEL competencies, right? CASEL is the Collaborative of Academic and Social-Emotional Learning. They have done so much to work towards equity. And I'm definitely a huge advocate and I'm a big believer in the competencies that they have laid out in terms of, like, I want my students to have self-management skills and to have self-efficacy and to be able to problem solve and build relationships. I, I'm a, I believe that all of that um, falls in line with what I want and how I want to support trans youth in education. It's more about the, what does that actually look like, right? Mm -hmm. um, how is that actually um, implemented? Do schools actually have time to implement it? And I know, Chris, you working with kids with behavioral challenges as well, right? You can have the best written behavior intervention plan on the planet. Right. It's still a bad plan if it's not implemented, right? It's still shit if you don't do anything with right. it. And right. so I think the same goes for social emotional learning. Like we can talk the talk, but at the end of the day, how are we actually getting our kids to grow socially in a school system that is made by adults, right? Right. Um, and so... I think that there's definitely room, especially in terms of, and I know H can speak a lot more to this, but when we talk about sex education, right? Sex education in and of itself is right. very gendered. Um, how are we talking to trans youth about sex, about sexual safety? What is out there? We're not. <laughs> right. um, well, H is, fine. <laughs> well, yeah, I, there's a really, actually, a really great resource called amaze.com. It's actually inclusive. It's um, really aimed for 13 and under, and it is all about puberty and sex education. And it's not only inclusive with trans, but also BIPOC and other identities, um, gay identities. It's amazing. I would, that is, <laughs> there's, that's what I show all of my families. That's what I give to families, and I've gotten nothing but good feedback. But it, you know, sex ed is not inclusive. I mean, not even just for trans youth, but for, you know, gay youth and lesbian youth mm -hmm. and bi youth. Um, we don't talk about that. It's still boys and girls. Thank you for doing this, H. Thank you for doing thank this. Thank you so much. I uh, yeah. really appreciate this conversation. Y'all are dope people. Uh, let's let's have a cookout. Yeah. Yeah, we definitely yeah. should. Thank, thank you for um, yeah giving voices to queer and LGBTQ community because that's what we need. Absolutely. No, no doubt, no doubt. Let's up. This is Schoolhouse Talk. We're out like trout. <laughs> <laughs> like trout. <laughs>
That's exactly what I was going to say. I, I learned um, how to be a better ally. Um, I learned that we also need to provide grace and gratitude in our process of learning. Um, yep. Uh, as you know, as Tova was pointing out, um, sometimes people trip up on pronouns, and and um, but if it's if you're making the effort, if you're trying, um, there's grace there, and so we yeah. don't need to feel awkward or weird about that. Um, as you pointed out, myself, it was a process for me. And so, yes. yeah. again, all we want to do is be, um, you know, better informed, well-informed allies to support um, the youth in our community. That's it. That's yeah. it. Um, yeah. I'm also, you know, uber excited. I said excited a lot. Yeah. But I'm very enthralled oh, for the Continua Consultant Conference. Coming yeah. Out. Healing Communities Through Trauma-Informed MTSS, July, June 28th. To July 1st. Yes. It's going to be great. Uh, the speaker, the keynote speakers are amazing. And um, as our listeners are learning of our team, like our team's going to be presenting. Tova will be presenting. Mm-hmm. You'll be presenting. I'll be presenting. Um, Courtney as well. I mean, our whole team will be. And, and whole team. We're, we're excited. So we're looking forward to seeing everybody there. Thanks for joining us on this episode of Schoolhouse Talk Route.